Watch us wreck the mic, watch us wreck the mic, watch us wreck the mic. Psych. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podquisition. I'm James Stephanie Sterling. I'm joined by Laura Kate Dale. Hello, Laura. Hello, I'm here. How are you? Oh, wait, no. Shit. What? That was force of habit. It's not Laura Kate Dale. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not now, no. Fuck. Ah, ah it's Laura Kate Magnetdale, technically, I guess now. <laughs> exactly. LKMD. I mean, I'm still going to use Laura Kate Dale on everything because okay. it's the branding. I've started publishing books under that name. Oh, you got to do it for the brand, yeah. It's not changing on the on the brand now, but like, yeah, off 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 air times I have a new surname now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tricky. I have like ruined my ex-wife's career to a certain extent. <laughs> And she hyphenated, and now what the hell is she going to do with it? It's one of those, like, for publishing stuff, keep it all under the one byline. But I'm I'm a Magnet Dale now, yeah. as opposed to the other way we could have done it, which would have been Dale Magnet. Well, and that actually, like, leads right into the first of the questions. <gasps> yes, we're doing a question episode, folks. Yeah, it's been a while since we've been done, done questions on this show, but we're doing them. Bit of a palate cleanser. The news has been heavy. Exactly. We start these podcasts off quite jauntily, and then by the end of it... Everyone's really, really depressed. Yeah. So yeah, we thought you know we'd we'd do this, and you know every now and then we'd have a bit of a palate cleansing episode, a bit of a mental health break. So this week, I mean, heaven forbid anyone send us any Activision questions. <laughs> I hope not. Um, not really. Actually, for Good. the most part, people seem to get it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I guess we should launch in. Yeah, what was that question we were leading to? Well, Brendan wanted to know, how was Laura's wedding? Was it great or perfect? Oh, it was perfect. Couldn't have asked for better. I can only imagine. I mean, yeah, on a train is perfect. Only have to imagine. We did get to bear witness to some of it. We did get to see some, yeah. Like, Conrad and I were able to call in and, and watch the ceremony, which was just, it was so wonderful. It was very sweet. Yeah. There was a limit to how well we could call you in because we were on a moving train, which is not <laughs> a great situation for getting internet access for video calls. Yeah, yeah. It's not really conducive to telecommunication. I think it went about, that went about as well as it could have gone. Yeah, it worked well. Absolutely, absolutely. So for anyone who who isn't aware, I got I got married uh, literally the day before we record this. Like two weeks ago, I won a competition to have an all-inclusive wedding on a train. And it was just like a Twitter th- post that was like, hey, do you want to win a wedding on a train? Tell us why in one sentence. I was like, hey, I like trains. I play train simulators a lot. I'm a speedrunner of train simulators. And also me and my wife were gay and trans and we've been wanting to get married for a while. But paperwork's a heck of a thing when you're trans. And apparently out of all the entries, they were like, hey, we want to give you two a wedding. So I had two weeks to prepare for a wedding, which is a lot. But on the day, it was wonderful. It was lovely. All of the little notice boards up in the train station had little messages about our wedding. And there were messages played over the tannoy on the train. And the first class cabin of the train we were in had custom headrests on all the seats that had um, our, our names and wedding date and the fact we were in the marriage carriage and that was all sort of embroidered onto there and we could all ta- everyone could take one home as a little wedding favour and all of the food was really lovely and the officiant we had on there who was doing the ceremony was really sweet and absolutely everyone just came in 
we we didn't have a dress code. We were just like, come in whatever outfit you would like to, that, that you feel stylish or comfortable or you want to wear. So we had the most mismatched set of outfits at this <laughs> wedding and it was delightful. Fitting though. Like, like yeah. it works for you, like you and uh, Jane and... That's what a gay wedding should look like. That's what it should look like. It should look like every person in attendance has come dressed for a different event. Yeah. And I think that was the best way we could have done it. Like, I was in a very nice, uh, formal, fancy wedding dress. Oh, you looked absolutely gorgeous. I love that dress so much. It is a very nice dress. It makes... Oh, mm, I felt so regal and so fancy. I had Mm. to travel to the place where the train was leaving from and... Oh my goodness, I got some congratulations on the, the hour or so's journey to there. Oh. Uh, it was just, oh, it was such a lovely day. We did our first dance on the train, which is difficult because the train turns corners occasionally. Yeah. But we did our, our best on that. And it was just a really lovely day. It was very nice. We got to drive around the train station on one of those little vehicle, uh, the, the luggage moving trolleys. Oh, yeah, you showed me photos of that. But it had been decked up in rainbow heart. That was lovely. We had a really lovely day. It was very nice. I'm glad. You deserve it. So many people I know who've had weddings are like, oh, I didn't really get to enjoy my wedding because I was, you know, micromanaging it the whole time, getting everything sorted. I just showed up and the wedding happened. It's wonderful. Brilliant. <laughs> So yeah, if you can't tell from how I've just been waffling for five minutes, I really had a very good wedding. Hey, if you can't waffle about your wedding day, when can you waffle? Absolutely. It was so lovely. Oh, the train company, one of the people from the train company gave me little metal, uh, some really nice little metal enamel pin badges of their train, but covered in rainbow, uh, like pride patterns. And that was really lovely. We got sent home with with cake in boxes shaped like, like, like the train. Like little train boxes of cake and oh, and I love Jane very much. She's very good. Good. Yay. Well, that's delightful. All right. So <laughs> got a couple of questions about Hades, which uh, so I'm just going to get, you know, this dirty, distasteful <laughs> business out of the way of talking yeah. about Hades, a game I obviously hate. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> let's uh, bring that back. <laughs> yeah, let's bring that back. Uh but the siren call of the Chandelier City asks, uh, favorite Hades builds and any funny moments you remember from runs? Hmm. Oh, I, I definitely know my favorite build. So I, I particularly love going for the Gilgamesh fists, which allow you to do a lot of um, very quick, rapid uh, dash dodge yes. punches. And first up in the run, I try and get the Dionysus boon that gives you poison on your basic attacks. Because while those dash in succession attacks aren't particularly strong, if you do multiple of them in quick succession, you can get up to max level poison damage really fast. Throw on top of that Athena's boon for um, getting the shield on the dash so that dash shields, and you're basically invincible and just hitting max level poison onto everything you touch. There are some other things I do beyond that in the build. I like getting the the ice crystal casts um, and then powering them up so they move as fast as possible. They fly frost and stuff but that's basically the things i like in my favorite build my favorite build is the shield with the aspect of zeus on it Mm. the effect of that is when your special no longer flies out and comes immediately back to you it now moves slowly and stays out when it stops until you call it back i like to get that and put zeus on that special yeah. And then when it flies in and it stops on position, I can throw it into a large enemy or a group of enemies 
it will continue to spin in that position, dealing damage over and over and over again. And every hit then also drops a lightning bolt. Add in jolted effects, and if I'm lucky, um, the additional benefit that Zeus provides where jolted doesn't like end just because they attack once, uh, and it can be repetitive. And you're just laying out constant damage. I'll then try to get Demeter on my basic attack so that I have some kind of slow or on the dash. Either one is fine. And I mean, really anything else I get from there is gravy. There's just, just the amount, the sheer amount of damage and the number of attacks you can execute with that spinning shield when deployed effectively is awesome. What about you, Steph? Uh... I really like both your builds, to be honest. Like the, those are two of my favorite builds. I love the fists. Mm-hmm. The fists are very good. The fists are really good. Yeah. I mean, I can split the diff between you. Lightning on the fists, I like. Mm. And then I try and go for the Hermes boons, mm. um, particularly the faster attack and the dodge. Mm-hmm. And if I can build the dodge up, and the, the, there's something I can't quite remember. There's something else that improves one's dodge. Um, oh, that's it. Right. I remember the fucking build now. Yeah. So you get the fist, you get the lightning. I then go for the one that I, I get the trinket, the thing, the equipable item that raises your dodge every time you clear a room quickly. Mm. And the fists are really good for quick clearance. And the yeah. lightning just helps because it it sort of gives you a sort of a range improvement with the lightning coming down. So by the time I get to Hermes... I've already got a pretty good dodge chance. And then the the evasion from Hermes can give you up to 25%, 10% minimum dodge chance. So you are dodging a fuckload. Add in... I forget if there's fists that heal you. I think there is. There is a... a um an upgrade to where if you kill an enemy with an uppercut, it heals. Yes, yes. So between that and the dodging, it's one of my more effective builds. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, you mentioned trinket strategy. I will start every run with whatever god I want to focus on Mm -hmm. for that for Tartarus. And then out of Tartarus, I swap it to Persephone's, which uh, increases the level of one of your boons every x number of rooms and i'll carry that through the rest of the game not bad and if if nothing else you know and now your strategy 10 you know is focused on hermes and if you change that trinket out you lose that benefit so this doesn't necessarily work but if you're working with some other trinkets slot in that persephone one when you get to the river of sticks because every one of those little chambers counts as a room for the purpose of leveling so you can boost a lot there i I Mm. don't know that it works that way for hermes curiously enough uh but it definitely does with persephone's very cool so that's that's interesting uh the other notable build i like i hate the bow and arrow until you get that aspect of, I think it's Demeter on there. I think it's it's the last one that chains damage on the special. Okay. So you'll fire the special little chain between multiple enemies. Every enemy that is hit by it for a period of time takes a percentage of damage from other attacks that are perpetuated anywhere. 
So you chain them all up and get everybody with that status effect on them. And then you just use your main attack to deal some damage to some and you're hurting them all. Uh, it's a great way to clear rooms of small enemies. Love that. Tend to put Demeter on that to get some, some slow as well. I just love her boons. She's my favorite. Bar none. Mm -hmm. Another question about Hades. What would anyone like to see in a sequel if there is one? Just more. Yeah? Honestly, just more. Yeah. I'm trying to think of something that might improve it. And... Oh, yeah. I want a pet crustacean. Because <laughs> you can go fishing and you get these little animals. And there's one little lobstery looking one. And y'all know me and my lobsters. Mm. And, like, all that game needs for me is a pet. Like, it just cosmetic. Just cosmetic. Just a little thing floating around behind you, like in Castle Crashes or something, you know. Doesn't have to do anything in Hades. Doesn't mm -hmm. have to give me anything. I just want a pet. Mm. And then I'm good. Let's say hypothetically we were going with the same cast of characters or something like that. I would like to see the introduction of like, hey, we've got boons based on all of the uh, up in the sky gods. Olympians. Yeah, the Olympians. What if we got some some cool underworld boons? That that could be some some room for some, some different stuff. I miss. I mean, now that you say that, like, there's a lot more basing boons on other figures in Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you see a lot of them, like throughout the game like achilles yes. is out there hanging out and that but like boons based on those figures would be quite interesting i think yeah yeah and it, it well and you could very easily I, I can very easily see a sequel having a very different narrative conceit uh which would allow hades to you know provide boons as well and and be more engaged in that yeah i do chuckle at the idea of having a sequel that was maybe in reverse that something like oh no we've got to go save someone from down in hell let's let's fight down from from up above yeah like i feel like there are some there are some spins you could put on that narrative to do something a little different mm-hmm yeah Mm-hmm. Just more, really. I just want more Hades. Give me more yeah, stuff. Absolutely. I don't care what the excuse is. Give me more Hades. So Casey Explosion. Hey! Hi. Casey! Love Casey. Casey! Spooky season is coming up. What's everyone's spooky games that they plan on playing? Oh, fuck. Sweet mother of fuck. I kind of want to go back and replay Alien Isolation. Ooh, it's a good game, though. It's a good game, and it's one that I've not played in a while, and, like, I... I'm no good at it, but I love the spooky tone. Yeah. I've been toying with the idea of going back to it as I've been playing old mm. games. Lately, on the subjects of horror, uh, like this past week, I've been playing World War Z again, the the mm. shooter, the one that's basically, you know, a Left 4 Dead-ish thing. Mm -hmm. It's a good game. Like, it really is a good little game. I know a lot of people have been playing the Back for Blood beta, and I will probably check Back for Blood out. I haven't tried it yet. I haven't been in the beta i think they're opening up like doing a fully open one very soon because they've got that and they've got some other like there's quite a few games coming up that want to do the left for dead thing there is an aliens one coming up this month i'm not holding out much hope for it just because it looks like it might be a microtransaction laden affair but i'm gonna get it because i like aliens uh so we'll see but yeah, yeah, I've been really into horror stuff lately. I did Evil Within 2, finally finished that. When I played that last time, I said on this podcast and in the Jim Pressions, I'm glad I've just stopped doing full game reviews because I can just take a break from this for as long as I like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that break lasted two years. 
<laughs> but I went back and it's it's got its problems, but it's it remains an interesting horror game. Yeah, I'll let y'all say other things. The thing I find is that like, I'm not that interested in horror games uh, anymore. Huh. Mechanically, when they're good games, I find them interesting, but I'm not drawn to interactive horror. I think I just sort of prefer passive horror. Well, like reading Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm probably going to finish up Control, which I went back to and still haven't done the DLC content for, and I'd really like to do that Alan Wake stuff, and then I'll probably play Alan Wake again. So, yeah. Those are horror. That's a good one. Yeah. I really, really like Alan Wake. Me too. Very much so. Yeah, it's 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 fantastic. I pissed people off back in the day because it was shortly after I'd done my Notorious Heavy Rain review. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, some of these people are saying, oh, Sterling used to be a voice for the gamers. Sorry, have you seen the reactions to my reviews over the years? Yeah. Never was. Fuck y'all. Um, yeah, uh, I've been wanting to replay Silent Hill 2. It's... My favourite game next to Bloodborne, Silent Hill 2 is, in in my opinion, still a fucking masterpiece. I started playing it on PlayStation Now again, the the streaming service. Oh, God, it's got save points fairly spaced apart. So when the PlayStation decides, oh, I'll tell you what, mate, I ain't got a connection anymore. I lose so much fucking thing. I need to ask Justin to bring the PS2 round. We bought a PS2 years ago to do a Halloween special in a haunted hotel, but that involved organization. Yeah. So it didn't happen, everyone. Mm -hmm. But he's got the PS2 over there, and we bought Silent Hill for it, Silent Hill 2. That might be the best way to do it. Plus, it wouldn't then be the HD collection, which they made rubbish. Yeah. I love horror. You know, you could just ask. You could just say, Conrad... You have two dozen consoles collecting dust in your closet. Is one of them a PS2? That's true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> I never I never think to, to like mine your closet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Captain Woosel asks, what is each of your favorite arcade machine? Mm. If they had the space and money, they'd get a DDR machine in their house. Oh. You go first, Laura, because it sounds like you've got one, and I need to look up the name of it. I've got one in that, like, not only do I love this this terrible cabinet, but I ought, I had the opportunity to own one, and I didn't have space, and I turned it down, and I, I regret it every day. So, the old Star Wars Episode One Pod Racer arcade cabinet. Oh, wow. Yeah, with the full-on ride-on pod racer that you physically ride on. I had the opportunity to own one of those for a very, 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 like, how could you turn it down at that price kind of fee. But how the fuck was I going to fit that in in a little flat with a regular-sized door to get it into? I have real fond memories of that game. I know in hindsight it was a bad game, but I absolutely love it, and there's a bit of me that's like, I could have owned it. If I had the space, I would love to own it. (laughs) Well, for me, uh, I already have it. I loved the Neo Geo arcade cabinets growing up. That was like the home console that I lusted for, but in my heart knew was so out, out, out of the realm of possibility. <laughs> Just I'm never going to own a Neo Geo home console. That's ridiculous. Those things are hundreds of dollars. I had enough of a an awareness of money at that point that there's just no way. But 
the arcade cabinets were so cool. Anytime I was at an arcade, I would go and check out what was in the Neo Geo and usually play it because there was often a metal slug. And some years back, oh gosh, more than 10 years back now, uh, I was delivering pizzas part-time evenings and somebody in my delivery area, I guess, owned an arcade amusements company and were throwing shit out for major trash day and there were two small like it's a it's like a four footer and i scavenged parts from one and took the other home and hooked it all up and it and it worked um after a little tinkering and so i have a neo geo cabinet postscript it doesn't work now because the monitor has a short somewhere and i'm too afraid to work with an old crt uh that i might kill myself that i haven't bothered trying to fix it yet but one day i will completely lose all hope for life and then that arcade machine's getting fixed and i'm going to play some more metal slug on it fuck yeah so for a long time i've always wanted one of the two aliens machines aliens armageddon i used to play I used to play all the time uh, down in Mississippi. There were two locations where there was one. There was one in a place called Gaddy Town. Imagine Chuck E. Cheese, but sadder. And there was one in the movie theater, which was good because I went to watch Avatar one time and then immediately left that and went to the movie theater Aliens Arcade Machine so I could experience something good that was James Cameron related. So that was a good laugh. But the one, if I could have any one, and no one in the world has space for it unless they are Jeff Bezos. It is called Dark Escape 4D. Now, I may have mentioned this on Podquisition in the past because I went on a trip to Atlanta once, played it there. They have one at the arcade in town, so I need to go back to the arcade soon and play it. It is a big self-enclosed thing with chairs inside. And the gameplay is essentially something like, you know, House of the Dead. Zombies come out, you've got a light gun, you shoot them. The chair rumbles. It blows air in your face and the back of your neck. It's got headphones with 5.1 surround. And it's got a panic sensor. (laughs) It records every panic attack according to the adverts. It's not that good. Um, If I recall correctly, it does sort of adapt to whatever that tells it. But it is, it's just such a fucking gimmick. And it's, it's a fun one. My favorite gimmick of the fucking pod racer machine, and like every every arcade cabinet I think needs this, is there is just a big, huge, flashing, glowing red button right in the middle, right in front of you, that is constantly just like, hey, 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 do you want something cool to happen? Press the big button. Which I feel like every arcade machine needs the big do cool button. I love a big do cool button. Oh, absolutely. The best games have a game where I have a button that I just press it and then I feel awesome. Yeah. Well, not enough games do that. Usually they make you work for it. And I don't exactly. play games to work. Let me just press the button and cool shit happens. Right? I want to feel powerful. And I want air to blow down the back of I want to do cool shit in a pod racer button. And I want to be breathed on by a zombie button. And I want them both in the same game. <laughs> All right. Well, here, here's, here's a question from John. And this is interesting. I'd like to talk about it a bit. Given that it seems to be an improvement on the Switch in every way, except for the exclusive Nintendo games, do you think that the Steam Deck could cut through the mass appeal? Or is it going to be seen as too nerdy? 
I mean, there's also price. Price is, I think, the other factor. Price is a huge yeah. point. Yep. Yeah. Um, I have reserved one because, well, a couple of reasons. The first one is uh, my back issues are well documented. Mm-hmm. Sitting at the desk to play PC games is difficult. Uh, having having something like just convenient like that, like, you know, I like playing the Switch handheld and I love handhelds in general. Uh, so that's all appealing. The other one is, speaking as someone with one of the old Steam review accounts, mm. I am actually buying a machine with quite a few games essentially preloaded. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a few. Just a few. Yeah, but as far as cutting through the masses, I, I don't know if it'll have mass appeal. I think it will have appeal. I think it's got a few problems that are going to hold it back from mass appeal. The things that stand out is obviously price. The fact that you can't just go walk into a shop and buy one, that you have to buy one yep. through Steam is going to impact its its uh, wi- wideness. The fact that it doesn't have anything that is actually original, unique, you know, exclusive software is going to be a mark against it. And... <sighs> I think there's the thing in the back of everyone's minds, which is Valve are really not good at continuing to do things that they make. They make exciting, interesting things and kind of drop them. Well, I think that that doesn't actually matter that much if it manages to break through to the mass market. Yeah. That that, that would be fine. Uh, I think you're right that price is a huge challenge for it. I think that um, a lot of it is going to depend on any sort of UI that they design. Accessibility and ease of use is going to be huge factors in whether or not people will adopt this. I suspect, well, for one, I would say that it's entirely too early for me to like really say that they're one way or another. I, I don't have a lot of hope for it, but I do think if it is going to happen, It's going to happen in much the same way that Switch adoption happened. People are going to buy them. People are going to show them to other people. And then other people are going to buy it when they see how cool and convenient and easy it is. But Nintendo exclusive games are not the only thing that the Switch has going for it that Steam Deck does not. It is marketed and sold in a mass market way that Valve will not do with the Steam Deck. It will not be getting massive television advertising to to push this. They aren't going to be behind it to that degree. I could be wrong, but I can't see that happening based on history. Additionally, there's, there's factors such as if you read a review of a PC game, you're not going to in most cases, have any idea how it's going to run on your Steam Link. Yep. Like, that's going to be a question is, I think this will probably run okay on the Steam Link, but but I'm not certain. Like, that compatibility question, because with something like the Switch, you buy a Switch game, you know it's going to run the same as, you know, you, you look up Switch reviews, they'll tell you how it runs on Switch. You know, I doubt you're going to get dedicated Steam Link performance reviews for games. Steam Deck, sorry, I keep saying Steam Link. But you're demonstrating a perfect test case here, because the Steam Link has exactly that problem. Yeah. In that I... I use my Steam Link all the time. It's incredibly useful for me because I have a nice big TV downstairs and a couch and I have everything wired up to play it. And I love to play games on my couch down there from my Steam library. I'm not going to hook up a big ass computer to it to run those games. And so I often buy things and then find out, oh, this doesn't actually work on Steam Link. 
particularly well. And there aren't reviews because the product adoption is relatively low. It's a, it's a niche thing. Yeah. And I get that. And, but that's going to be, I think, the way it goes down for Steam Deck also. And that's going to, you know, I think by the time you already have that and run into that problem, you're bought in. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I, I don't want to downplay the, the Steam Deck as much as I can't remember its bloody name. Right. I've ordered one. I'm excited for these. Something you pointed out, though, Conrad, was you said, like, hey, the thing that worked for the Switch was someone playing it and going like oh shit that looks really cool i want to get one right the difference is right now let's say day one when people start receiving these end of this year someone sees one and goes oh shit i'd like to have one of those as well even if they get as far as oh i have to go on the internet and buy it from steam directly currently the waiting list for people who aren't getting them at the start of the year there's waiting lists like halfway through next year. If someone sees one day one and goes, that looks cool, I want to order one, they're going to pull up the internet and go, oh, I've got at least a six-month waiting list before I can get one. Oh, yeah. That's going to hurt impulse purchasing. Oh, yeah. The thing of that looked re- looks really cool, I want one, is a lot more difficult when there's a six-month wait from that point to get it. But, like, I like it. I'm, I'm excited about the tech. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's see here. Can the play date people give me a play date? I don't want to wait till next year for one. <laughs> oh. Like, I, it's not get, it's not about getting a free one. I just want one. It's yellow. Honestly, I'm in the same boat. I'm like, I'll pay for it. Just, just, I, I want to have it ASAP. Yeah, I've not considered, like, asking a, a publisher f- or a game company for anything for ages because I'm just over it. I want to have the little bit on yellow plastic as soon as possible. I might, I might do it. I've not pissed off all the indies yet. (laughs) They might. So we do have some wrestling-related questions. (gasps) Uh Uh-oh. Usually the only wrestling-related question I get from the gamers is, can you shut the fuck up about (laughs) wrestling? No, some people... Clearly do care. Uh, M at Tales of Mass Effect would like to know if Commander Sterling is going to have another costume change soon. Commander Sterling is going to have to have a costume change. I was in talks with Closet Champion, who do my masks, about some gear, but they apparently have had some issues with their big sort of industrial sewing machine. So gear is off indefinitely. But I do want one in a holog- with the holographic material that looks so it matches my mask, and I will just walk around looking like a shiny pog, just a human panini sticker. That would be good. Uh, I want something with a bit more of a femme look to it, um, so that people stop assuming the commander is a man. And because of the weight loss I've had, when I bend over too low, you can look straight down it and see my tits. So. I will need... It's already got a bit of bulldog skin going on. I do need to have it taken in, I think, at the very least. But yes, I do want want, uh, want a new costume. And in the meantime, I've got like some alternates, like the one I did at Polyam Cop Party 3 with the, the moto jacket and the shorts and the tights. I need to do that again because I've got these boots that have fuck it up written all over it. And a show run by MV Young is about the only show I could get away with wearing boots with fuck it up written all over it. (laughs) Although maybe MV broke down the barriers by calling me a brave motherfucker at a family show. (laughs) Maybe I can just go out wearing fuck. Um, But yeah, yeah, that's... Yes, there will be more costume. Wrestlers are obsessed with changing their gear all the time. So 
I'm sure at some point there will be more than one costume change. So, uh, Steph, if you could chokeslam anyone living or dead, who would it be and why? Bezos. Surely the answer always, if, if any question is if you could do a thing that is not good to someone, <laughs> it's gonna be a billionaire. Mm. Yeah, but then that's the question, is which one? I mean, they're all, every billionaire is the worst billionaire, that's a problem. I tell you what, toss up between Bezos and Vince McMahon. Okay. Actually, Vince oh. McMahon would be perfect, because it would be poetic, and also his words I won't say. It's the C word, everyone. It's the C word. And I say it all the time when no one's looking. <laughs> See you uh, next, uh, next yeah. Tuesday. Mm. They just had major cuts at WWE. They are just jettisoning talent. Ooh. It's oh, flooding the indies. Some people reckon they're trying to sell and they want to like cut the cut every like loads of stuff out and then they'll sell it. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. To get rid of Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt. And... They got rid of Bray Wyatt. Yeah, and they got rid of half the NXT roster. And apparently... Oh, wow. Vince is now, like, all in on... Doesn't want anyone in the company under a certain height, uh, without a certain musculature. Doesn't want anyone in their 30s. Well, this actually leads to another question that I had here from Guy and Luck. What most needs to change in the wrestling industry specifically? And... Is there anything that they do worse than video games? Hmm. I'll say from the outside, they do self-promotion worse than video games. Oh. Wrestlers on an individual level are terrible self-promoters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. As far as the industry goes, fewer abusers protected. I'm very lucky in that I'm working in a space where um, abusers are very, very unwelcome. I would like to tag with fewer of them. I've only tagged with one, but mm. it was still a fucking shame and a disaster. But um, there's still a lot of a lot of places. Uh, I tell you what, because this is part of it. This mentality where you've got to respect the old guard. Yeah, it is responsible for people taking advantage of others in terms of abuse or not paying them. People aren't supposed to talk about the money they make. People feel beholden to those that trained or mentored them. And as a result, a lot of the old guard think they owe nobody respect while being owed all the respect in the world. And no, no. If someone disrespects me, I don't care how long they've been in the business. I will cry about it to someone. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Like this, this mentality of, of respect the old guard no matter what. It's not an old boys club anymore, is wrestling. It's certainly not in the places where I'm working. I respect wrestlers. I respect people who've been in the game longer than me, even though most of them are 10 years fucking younger. I listen to them. I take their advice. I follow their lead. But I... I won't work with them if they disrespect me. I just won't ever come back. Yeah. Treat me with some basic respect. I don't care how new someone is. Gender me correctly. I don't care how long you've been doing it, Paul Atlas. <laughs> Fuck's yeah. sake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my. Speaking of which, Seven Valleys, York, PA. I've got posters of it on my Twitter. I've got a tag team title match for everyone at SWI. So I know some people are coming to check it out. If, if you're in and around the Seven Valleys area, uh, swing, swing on by. It's going to be interesting. So Vry Kaiser uh, said, since Laura's so great at doing the pre-show catch-up and Conrad's off in its shows, have you considered being heel commentator or manager for Sterling, respectively? I mean, I personally am 
quite interested in doing commentary and I've been thinking about... I think you do good. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah so I, that's something I've personally been thinking about doing on some level and just finding the time to get involved with that is the main trick right now. But um, yeah, I'd like to, to get more involved in wrestling. I don't know. I think if I were going to get involved in the live performance aspect of it, manager is probably about as much as these old bones is going to be able to do. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, you, you threw some good strikes. Yeah, I could, I could take a bump probably. <laughs> 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 but that would probably be it. Everybody's got at least one in them. Right? But yes, I, I would definitely be interested in, in getting more involved. Um, and Laura does do a phenomenal job with the pre-show. Oh, yeah. I've been really enjoying doing the pre-shows, and I'd love to do more in future. Of um, After, after I think it was after the last Polyam Cult party, I did an impromptu post-show, and I had a lot of fun doing that, and I'd like to pre-organized doing one of those in future because it was really nice. Sorry. What? You just implied organization and wrestling. <laughs> hey, hey, all, all, I'd have to organize anyone else other than myself. I have to remember to make notes and to be like, hey, I'll be around afterwards for a post-show. Come to that. If anyone's capable of of the Herculean task <laughs> of true. bringing organization to wrestling. It's going to be Laura. Um, Laura would make a great wrangler, yes. wrestler wrangler. After that, that Polyam, that Polyam event last time, I managed to get a wrestler who'd been at the event to come onto a post show with no pre-warning. I did all right. I wrangled. Yeah, I mean, you did great. This... You all did great. Your pre-show <laughs> was great. Conrad running the stream was great. Phoenix, who is my girlfriend, did great. So everyone did good, and I did all right. I choke slam people. That's what I bring to this yeah. organization. I choke slam people, so that's what I do. But no, I, you'd make a good. I think with more knowledge of the wrestling side of it under you, both of you would make good commentary. You'd make a good commentary team. Mm. Oh, I'm learning. I'm I'm starting to recognize I'm getting getting the the, the words I need to know. Yeah. yeah. Moves no, would be the That's the main thing and I'm I'm learn I'm learning the moves. I'm getting there over time. One of you would like there's play by play in color mm -hmm. the color is typically heel so they just have to provide justifications or react to things but play by play is it's tough. I've I've done it. Uh, luckily I've been able to do it in a non-live environment so I've been able to cheat a little but <laughs> Commentating is interesting. It's not where my heart is, but I'm not bad at it. And yeah, I think you'd be great at it. Another question here for Laura. Laura? <gasps> Me? M at Tales of Mass Effect would like to know what you like most about VR games. Mm. Oh, okay. So I'm going to I'm going to put two things I think at the at, at the top of this. I'm a big believer in motion control being wonderful for games when you can do it correctly. And I think VR is one of the few spaces where accurate proper one-to-one -one motion control with depth of vision and the fact that you can physically reach out to where things should be and interact with them is wonderful. I think that it only really works in VR or in a setting that has as many, you know, cameras and sensors as VR has. But I really love what that does for interacting with game worlds and being able to just naturally intuit how, how games are played. I know so many people who don't 
play games who get on much better with VR games than they do with traditional controllers. And I, you know, for all of the accessibility problems that come with motion controls, I really love good one-to-one motion controls. Other than that, as someone with ADHD, I really value the fact that VR gaming completely shuts off all distractions around me and goes, you're doing this video game right now. There's nothing else to... If you try and look away, there's more video game all around you. I find that I have a much easier time actually focusing on and not, like, multitasking other things with a video game if I can just shut out the world around me. And there are certain games like Tetris Effect, which is the music rhythm, visual, sensory experience Tetris game... I've tried playing that in non-VR. I I have such a better time in VR because I just get on with playing the thing in front of me and I have a better time for it. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So, let's talk about our childhoods. Oh, God. This was meant to be a mental health palate cleanser. (laughs) Bianca Wicks asks, what's the first game your parents ever forbade you from playing as a child? And how did you get away with playing it anyway? (laughs) I watched Puppet Master with my mum when I was six. She don't give a fuck. Well, alternately, if you had, and I'm gonna, they said cool parents. (laughs) (laughs) If you had a parent who didn't have any rules. What game did they let you play that you really shouldn't have? So I've I've got an answer for they didn't allow me to play, but I played anyway. And this ties back into wrestling. It was one of the old WWE games back on the PlayStation 1. Oh, they were good, those ones. Was it SmackDown? Uh, I believe it was SmackDown. So... My my parents were completely anti-wrestling, and there's a reason for this. My older brother once did, like, a, uh, a backbreaker on me when I was a small child and did not know what he was doing and kind of kind of injured me a bit, and then wrestling got banned in the house because it was imitatable violence. Boy, is it. I mean, yeah. It's so good. That's why it's good. I had a friend called Felix, though, who was, like, the person who had the wrestling video games and the PS2, and as long as I didn't bring it up that I'd played it there, that was where I got to play got to play the wrestling games. <laughs> nice. Uh, for me, uh, my parents uh, were pretty permissive. I, there, I can't really think of anything that I was explicitly, like, prevented from consuming uh, as a child. I think anything that I would have been probably wouldn't have interested me much, but... I mean, I did play Leisure Suit Larry or one of the Leisure Suit Larry games at like age 12, which might have been inappropriate. But I had also already read It by Stephen King a couple of years earlier. Yeah. So... There you go. (laughs) You know, certainly no worse. Mm -hmm. It is one of the films I was allowed to watch before I was six years old. Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, (laughs) complete with its sex scene... Um, Child's Play, that one they had to turn off I had a thing about evil dolls I was allowed to do what the fuck ever They didn't care It wasn't about permissiveness It was about they didn't give a fuck We had a babysitter who watched Austin Powers when I was six Oh behave, did they say that to you when you were (laughs) naughty? (laughs) I, I, I don't remember God I, I remember that film being on, and that's about it. Hasn't aged well. No. It's just kind of embarrassing. As with many comedies of the era, hasn't aged well. Nor have I, to be honest. <laughs> While we're still in our childhoods, uh, Joey Joe Joe Jr. says, We already know some of Steph's favorite toys. 
What are some of Laura and Conrad's favorites, either from childhood or now? And, and Steph, you can answer too, but but we get a turn first. Oh, absolutely. Do you, do you want to go first, Conrad? Sure. When I was a kid, I, I, I really like. I'm I'm boring. I had a, a Guns of the Navarone set that was, you know, just a plastic fort with little plastic army men and little plastic guns that did nothing. They they, they swiveled. That was it. It was like some toy made in the 60s that continued to be produced. This is such a perfect toy for you. I know. It's just functional. It is... I can imagine just a box that just says, you can play with this. Well, and it was kind of like the Skull Mountain, you know, uh, He-Man set, which I also had and was really cool. And it had the like the little yeah. microphone thing and, you know, went against a, a sheet of metal. So it kind of made some noise. It was weird. But I preferred this narrow set. On the inside, there was like a little pulley drawn elevator that... Like, barely held together, and I had to be really careful raising and lowering it, but I did. I put little soldiers in it. It's so lame and sad, but yeah, that was my favorite toy growing up, was that little set of army men. What about you, Laura? Growing up, 100%, I was all about Power Rangers Megazords. Like, I was, I, I, I fell on that, that end of the transforming robot uh, scale. Lots of... This is multiple different animals or vehicles, and then you turn them into one big one by putting them all together. That was 100% like my childhood toy obsession for years. My brother had that. They were really good. Yeah? Do you, do you remember what, what, what it was that turned into a robot? Was it animals or dinosaurs or... It was animals. There was like a saber-toothed tiger one. Oh, yeah, that would be the, the, original, uh, the original ones. Yeah. But yeah, for years, that was the thing I was into. I have, I've still got a bunch of them downstairs. There's one that's a bunch of trains that turns into a big oh. robot. There's one that's a bunch of ships that turns into a big robot. There's the dinosaurs that turn into a big robot. There's cars that turn into a big robot. You're noticing a theme, they all turn into a big robots. Big robot. robots. Mm. Yeah. Considering my parents wouldn't let me watch wrestling because it was imitatable violence, Power Rangers was like the thing I watched way too much of growing up and that was very imitatable violence it was very very basic throws and punches yeah there's not a lot you can do in a kaiju outfit no you can do a kick and a punch and a throw you kind of you can only like move like a child in one so it's <laughs> infinitely imitatable exactly but yeah it's just that and lots of tiny little pokemon figurines you got one staff do you want to toss in I mean, obviously, the Boglins are a huge thing. Everyone knows that. The rest of it, I tend to go through cycles. It's just, I'm very faddy. So right now, it's Crash Dummies. Mm. Such a good concept. Such a dark concept. My favorite one is the baby Crash Dummy in a collapsible pushchair. And the cat and the dog that you flatten out like roadkill. I like those. They're really difficult to get in good condition because there's all springs holding their limbs together. So even if you've got some, one day an arm or a leg could just pop off and never go back on. But I really like the villain ones, the junk bots. The, they don't pop apart, they you just pull them apart, but they all look like they're made out of just random shit. And they're pretty good. And there's one that you, there's one that looks exactly like the Stonks guy, and you press a button and his head sort of just extends really quick. So yeah, yeah, Crash Dummies is the current thing. If anyone's got them, uh, my... Oh, it'll take too long. We've got to get a wriggle on. But on the next toy chest, I will have a payo box. 
Speaking of which, that Castle Grayskull got here. Thank you so much. Ah, no worries. Um, Thank you to Rob who sent it my way to send over to you. Yeah, Rob, thank you so much. I've got it up on me... uh up on my kitchen cabinets along with an ecto one uh so yeah yeah thank you that it's massive it is it's real big right fucking massive it was quite the thing to sort of lug to the post office yeah i really appreciate you doing that that was (laughs) that was no small task all right a few more before we wrap up Mm -hmm. first off daniel million wants to know just how hard is it to not bust out laughing during some of stephanie's amazing intros Or do you edit it out, mute yourselves because you know it's coming? I tend to not mute myself at the start of the show. Yep, same. You know, little little chuckles might happen occasionally, but usually I I try and be like, okay, let's let's let this play out to whatever (laughs) it's building to before we we jump in. Let them tire themselves out. Yeah. They've known me for years and years and years and years and years. They know what they know my bullshit intimately now. There's usually like very clearly, okay, I'll be able to feel when we've reached the crest of the hill where (laughs) where it's our turn to, to chime in. You've got to get to the top of the hill first. And, you know, a, a decade of doing this has... I, I've, I'm i prepared. Yeah. I am prepared to not crack. Oh, yeah. Making Conrad crack is one of my favourite things. The last time I think I properly broke him was on Boston's Favourite Son when I debuted the character Andrew Fuck. <laughs> Which I still... <laughs> I'm still wandering around my living room like, Andrew Fuck. I'm Andrew Fuck. <laughs> I'm Andrew Fuck. I came here to fuck. I'm a soup bone gnome. <laughs> Good stuff. Classic yeah. comedy. Yeah. Speaking of uh, those types of things, Lazy Fox says, and I'm just, this is just for my own personal like self-gratification. They say, I feel that as a work of comedy writing, strange choice of words, Fish Shark Marketing <laughs> was one of the most inspired works Stephen Conrad, plus a few guest appearances by Lauren, temporary host, John and Caitlin worked on. Do you have any plans to eventually explore something similar? Not plans. Oh, Thank you, though. Plans. It's very nice of you to say. Uh, there are things, I, I have ideas for uh, ways I, I'd like to explore it. I'm very proud of the ideas we had, and considering it was all improv, mm-hmm. I think it was, I think there's something quite brilliant about it yeah going back through um because i have to some extent gone back through the prior episodes and started building a actual document that covers everything that transpires in it we are remarkably consistent for something that is made up yeah the entire way through oh yeah i've got no long-term or short-term memory but my own bullshit oh i'm like a law wikipedia Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it, we very rarely contradict ourselves, mm-hmm. and when we do, it's usually knowingly. And so I'm pretty proud of that. And uh, yeah, there's there are some concepts that I think are are worth uh, looking into. I have some ideas for projects that, if I can find the time, if I can find the other people that might be necessary in some cases to accomplish them, maybe can happen. But. Um, Thank you for liking it. I do appreciate that. Yeah. All I have to say on this is keep an eye out for later this year. There might be a book project I'm working on that might be of interest for a similar sort of topic and and humor angle. Ooh. Ooh. That there's something in that vein that you should maybe keep an eye open for. Let's see here. Michael says, with the greatness of quality and Gymporium pins, what do you think might come up in the future? What's the future of the Gymporium? What's the future? 
Well, we're looking at another wave mm-hmm. before the holidays, probably. Given how successful this first one was, another couple shirts, maybe, based on some of the other really popular phrases that have come out the Gymquisition. Uh, I chokeslam people. We had a lot of requests for that. Um, something something capitalism bad is another one. We're working on some trading cards as well. Ooh. Justin's nailed down the design for them. I've written the things that go on the back. I think people will like the concept we've got for them. The one side looks like just some regular trading cards with the picture and the name. The other side also looks like the front of a card, but it's like the front of a Magic the Gathering or a Pokemon card. And I've written rules. Good luck to the weird, sad fucker that tries to make those rules work in a consistent game. Uh, I'm very excited about them. I want to. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna do it. Uh, it's gonna be quite a challenge. I'm gonna, I'm gonna play you a terrible game. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's one I'm really excited for. Um, we're currently working on some new keychains. Um, I think I can say these things. Mm. I think I won't get in trouble. Um, yeah, I think it's okay. I okay. I've, I think that's all right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So there's stuff coming. I'm very excited. I want to start doing some. Like with the trading cards, I want to start doing some interesting things. Not necessarily, you know, a shirt with a Gymquisition related thing on it. Some interesting stuff. I think the Gymporium could become quite a little thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, that's a, an idea of what we've got coming. Yeah. Cool. Also, thank you so much for selling out, like buying those shirts to the point where they sold out. The guys can yes. do whatever they want. We have new stock coming in, should be ready to order about August 25th. We have tank tops as well, because that was requested. Sadly, we can't get them up beyond 3XL, folks. I insisted the t-shirt should be 6XL, because, you know, i got to look out for me, me fellow fatties. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. That was... We ordered lots. We were still outbought. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, really, really great support from everyone. Really appreciate it. Thank you all. Yeah. Antifa customer support wants to know what the best way to punch a Nazi is, uh, and the answer is immediately. Yes, as hard as you can. Brass knuckles. Well, if we're gonna get if we're gonna get technical, a roll of nickels in your pocket is just a helpful thing to have. You never know when you might That's need true. to make some change in this world. I've got a rusty medieval gauntlet. <laughs> Uh, I mean, a, a roll a roll of coins is just convenient to have. What if you need to put some money yeah. in the parking meter? Mm-hmm. Other other good ways to punch Nazis. This could be a whole podcast. I'm into this. Have a gun grafted onto your arm like Barrett from Final <laughs> Fantasy VII. I'm not advocating anything. I'm just saying it would be a good punch. <laughs> that it would. <laughs> Barbed wire. Oh, I've, I know. You know. I, I'm just saying. I've seen many wrestling death matches. Punch him with barbed wire on your fist ain't nothing. You can use the medieval gauntlet for self-protection. There are these gloves you can get. (laughs) There are these gloves you can get, and they actually have metal steel knuckles on them for protection. So your hand will be fine no matter how you punch that Nazi. So long as you do it with gusto and... No, that'll do. Just punch him with a metal knuckle glove. Just gusto. Just have some gusto, yeah. Uh, All right, just a couple more, and then we'll wrap it. Mm -hmm. Uh, NBAJ 
asks, can each of us give a quick elevator pitch for a game they haven't seen before but would really like to play? And I will go first because I got the chance to read this question in advance and already had something come into my mind, so you'll have some time to think about it. And I'm going to caveat this by saying it's not actually a game I'd want to play because it's multiplayer and I don't give a shit. It's also a military shooter and I don't give a shit about that. But... I would like to see a game where it is cooperative between a squad of players playing a traditional first-person shooter in a team deathmatch type of scenario with a couple of asynchronous players who do not have guns but have cameras. Ooh. And they are there to document the battle. Yeah. And the more effectively you capture it, you those players are the ones who actually score for the team. Mm. They're the ones who really matter. The other players can get killed. They can make kills, and that will help. But it's really minor in comparison to the impact on the score from well-documented, or at least favorable documentation of the combat exchange. Like a very dark Pokemon Snap. Exactly. Pokemo the humanity. And there would, uh, of course, have to be penalties for the opposing team killing those players. Mm. So there's, uh, so I, I think that'd be very interesting to, to see made. That's really good. Thank you. I'm not going to be able to come up with anything half that good on the fly. Mm. That's fantastic. Zombies. Zombie game. <laughs> Zombie. I mean, I'm not a game designer. I never, I've never claimed to be. I don't think I have that imagination, let alone development talent. To come up with an original concept, you know, I could, I could probably direct a good way. Well, everyone says they could direct. I could work on a, a game that involves little effort on my part mm -hmm. but you know as far as contributing to games voice acting is about as far as i think my talents would take me see i've got a thought on this but i'm not going to talk about it because it's a thing i kind of want to do as like a game jam thing with some people at some point oh that's totally why i said this idea too because i have legitimate small ideas that i might capitalize on at some point yeah i i have a manageable like we could we could throw that together in a month or so and have a working version of that idea mm -hmm. and it's the only one i can think of right now so maybe you'll find out the answer to this question in the future everyone <laughs> one more question alexis bates says they would like to know what's made us happy in the last year or so because video games in the entire world have been so bad they'd like to know what the bright spots are i have really enjoyed this year Playing a bunch of board games with my wife now, uh, Jane. We always played a lot of board games before, but like this last year of spending a lot of time inside has led to us trying like a wider variety and a larger amount of board games than we, we usually do. And it's been really nice having Jane subscribed to a basically monthly box of new release board games so that like every month we just try a few things that wouldn't be stuff that we would necessarily have thought to try ourselves. Some random stuff turned up and it's been really nice having like at the start of the month every month just, oh, here's a few board games that we d knew nothing about until they arrived. Let's jump in and play them. And that's been really lovely. Yeah, for me, I, you know, I, I think it's it's just you know, I've un I've had a lot of like changes in this past year, just like big life change stuff, and hmm. you know, I I feel incredibly fortunate 
you know, through all of that, that I have a, a new partner in my life who is incredibly supportive and wonderful to spend time with. And uh, we've been having fun doing projects together. And, uh, and that's just been uh, really, really wonderful and, and something that I just needed in my life. And so I have and it's, it's, it's been made me, it's made me incredibly happy. So that's, that's been my high for the last year or so. Oh, uh, for me, I mean, obviously, transitioning has been a huge thing. Yeah, you know, I, I started physically transitioning in December of last year, so it's been you know the past eight months now have been there's it's been a hard year. I mean, it's been a hard f- past few years for me. Like, really, yeah, a lot of stuff I haven't spoken about publicly. A lot of really difficult stuff, but that becoming happier with myself has been a huge thing. Phoenix coming into my life and becoming an increasing part of my life until the point where they're such a big part of my day um, has been just, I mean, they helped me put myself back together and it was... Phoenix is a real, real good sweetie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a reason two out of three Podquisition hosts endorse yes, Phoenix. Yes, very much. <laughs> oh, no, no, all three. <laughs> well, we all endorse. three of us endorse all Phoenix. All three endorsing, yes. Two, two-thirds of the show are like, I want to date that one. Yes, yes. <laughs> and yeah, very good, many good reasons. And the wrestling, of course, uh, to, to which I owe Envy Young a, a huge debt there. Because last year he was the only reason I got any work. You know, he got me to commentate the Polyam cult party and get got some commentary gigs for me and just put me in a position where I was introduced to places like Wrestler's Lab and enjoy wrestling. And, yeah. you know, he lets me have my matches at Polyam cult party. I'll hit him up and like, can I do a thing? And he's like, sure. And that's helped me become more of a wrestler. I mean, the last Polyam Cult party we did, I was able to leave it and say, I am a wrestler now. So, hey, good. Three good things. I wanted to throw in as well, um, getting to this last year work on putting together Gender Euphoria and then particularly, like, the really positive reception that it got and just some of the little things I get into... I've done books before and I've been really proud of every book I've done. But this is the first one where, like, it was getting put in the front shop window of, like, big fancy London bookshops, and it was getting put in displays, and, like, people outside of people who already know me were finding it and paying attention, and these last few months I've had so many really lovely heartfelt messages from people who were just like, trans stuff is really depressing, thank you so much for giving me something happy to focus on, has been really heartwarming, and I feel very particularly proud of this book, and... Really glad I, I got to put it together. And you should be proud. You absolutely should. You're a goddamn author. I mean, yeah. Christ. On top of everything else. Too many, too many, I do too many things. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's it. That's what I pulled. Uh, yeah. I think we've gone, you know, like an hour ten. Yeah, thank you everyone who sent them in. I know, you know, unfortunately we can't answer everything. We can't be here for hours on end. Yeah, unfortunately. We'll probably do another of these sometime in the probably not too distant future, considering how the news has yeah. been recently. Yeah, we'll get exhausted again. Yeah. 
yeah, this this was really lovely. And there's a bunch more questions that we want to get to at some point. And I think these are going to be a really nice palate cleanser for when everything's a bit heavy on this show. Yes, yes. And if you're a patron at some point, I do need to do another Asking Sterling podcast. So, you know, I take questions there as well. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely want to do more of these. It was very nice. Thank you, those who sent us it sent us stuff in thank you to laura and conrad and myself you know let's not forget that of course and laura we mentioned your books yeah you do all sorts of things and where can people get this stuff uh you can find all my stuff at laura k buzz pretty much everywhere twitter twitch youtube patreon that's the one that pays the bills you can find me twitch streaming mondays wednesdays and fridays at 10 p.m uk 5 p.m eastern 2 p.m pacific uh, every Friday on YouTube, I upload episodes of Access Ability, which is about accessibility and representation in the games industry. Except this week, because wedding, I've not made an episode this week. You, you can live with that. Uh, actually, I got a backlog episode. Maybe that is one this week. <laughs> <laughs> Depends if I can be bothered to subtitle it. We'll get, we'll see. Other than that, there's books, uncomfortable labels, things I learned from Mario's but Gender Euphoria. There's a couple more on the way. You'll find out about them in the future. And then there's podcasts, Pixel Squirts, about video game porn, uh, Queer and Pleasant Strangers, which is about things that aren't video games that I've done. There's also Dice Funk, it's a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Uh, all the seasons are their own story, so jump into whatever season you like. I'm on seasons three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. Conrad, you were on that show in the past. I sure was, and you can also find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram, or that Conrad Zimmerman on Twitch, twitch.tv slash that Conrad Zimmerman, where I'm on four days a week. Um, you can buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com. You could buy audiobooks at conradreads.com. You could hear me on Let's Talk About Snacks, new episode out. There is no ethical jelly under capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> Go hear that now. New Boston's favorite son coming soon, we hope. Mm. Um, new spinoff doctors coming soon, we hope. I, I have not watched the movie. I meant to say today that I had watched the movie, but I can't lie. Ah. I haven't. Hopefully <laughs> soon. Somehow I've watched it long before you. Yeah, but this week I will I will get that watched and we'll do that episode. And uh, everything I do online is supported on Patreon, patreon.com slash fist shark. And you know who else has a Patreon? Why, it's James Stephanie Sterling. Hello, hello, that's me. Oh, heck. Heckin' heck. Uh, yeah, patreon.com slash Jimquisition. That pays for, well, all of the content. And I switch stream occasionally twitch tv slash jim sterling and uh, live on that channel 28th of august at 6 p.m eastern it will be polyam cult party woodstock mv young keeps threatening me because he's booking a match for me this time and he's he sounds like he's angry because my lawyer david lawless hit him in the dick with a gavel while i laughed and i didn't mean to and I didn't hit anyone. I only chokeslammed Sean Phoenix when he had one working arm. But apparently chickens are coming home to roost. So August 28th, go to Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling at 6 p.m. Eastern and watch some chickens roosting. I'm scared. <laughs> Gymporium. Thegymporium.com. That's <laughs> <laughs> where the merch is, folks. Thegymporium.com. Thank you, Conrad. I'm, I'm a creature of habit. There will be more gay shirts for you yes <laughs> at the end of the month more gay yeah. shirts get them while they're hot and they'll always be hot but they might not always be available um we're doing our best <laughs> uh thank you i think that's it uh we will see you next time have a good one
Bye. Bye. Bye.